Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash yesteryear's news today. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com forward slash yesteryear's news today. Hello and welcome to Yesteryear's News Today, June 21st, 1916. John Ronald Raoul Token, bound for France, has composed a poem, The Lonely Isle. U.S. President Woodrow Wilson signs a bill federally incorporating the Boy Scouts of America. The English starling bird is on trial for its life. And finally, rat as big as a cat, 80 chickens in a pie, suicide changed mind. And that was the news as it was this week in 1916, June the 21st. Which means... You're listening to Yesterday's News Today. I'm Johnny. And I'm Mr. Collier. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't really seen you since uh, your big day. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been a while since we've been uh, out in the airways or the internet waves. We took a break because uh, we made a short film, which is uh, called Practice. You'll find it on YouTube if you put in Practice. And uh, R-O-D-E after it You'll find it on YouTube It's the first link It's a picture of uh, feet with a ball And uh, please watch it And you can vote for it On the My Road Reel competition So Plug And it's um, uh, very much related to 1916 it's, Hilariously yeah, it's, it's, it's set during the Irish I suppose what Uprising Yeah <laughs> I- ironically like something that We haven't covered this Yeah year. it's not on no, the We're, we're going to do a special on it At some, some stage uh, Well that's actually When we finished up Last podcast we'd done We talked about how We were going to do a special on it But I also in the meantime We made a short film Yes And then uh, I got married So <laughs> That took a lot of time Yeah, so, yeah. Two weeks by itself So And then we talked about Having a guest Who was in your film Gary was in your film yeah, Gary's he not here as a guest This is probably This is probably the first Gary's hearing about it Still going to do a special for nineteen, the 1916 Rising. Because it's such a big topic, yeah. it needs a whole episode by itself. Yeah, So yeah. that's really the reason we do it. But we just, we, we, we just had to, we, we couldn't, we just had to record an episode, we'd missed too long. So yeah, yeah. our special for 1916 isn't going to be on the year 1916. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but it doesn't matter, we're doing a normal This Week episode and we'll get to the Rising sometime. Yeah, but check out our short film. Yeah, it's a my road reel, isn't it? That's Find out my road reel. Uh, it is entry four four two. And if you are voting, make sure to vote. Don't like a, a thumbs up on on YouTube. It's in the vote. You have to actually vote on the website itself. Yeah, in, it's to... in the description below. Yeah. 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 The the other big thing, we're gonna put this up on Sundays now. Isn't that oh yeah, yeah. We're talking. Yeah, we're now gonna do this on Sundays because we realize. Oh wait, Sunday is the end of the week. It's a better day to put yeah. up. Yeah. 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 And we we really want to like try and do an episode every week, and we've been failing a bit at that. Yeah, and yeah. this gives us if we actually are putting it up on a Sunday, it means we can can actually record on a Friday now, as opposed to like it used to be a case that Thursday was the last, really the last day we could record to get yeah, up for yeah. Friday. Now we've got the Friday and Saturday to go for the Sunday if we have to. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, no, this Monday, so the day after this comes out, uh, I'm thirty. Oh, I thought you were plugging something else. No, just, no, like, just myself. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. just saying, you're, you, you've been calling me Mr. Collier because I got married and then yeah. I'm going to be 30, so I'm going to be old that's and really, married. That's the grown-up age. That's, I've been waiting for the crystal in my hand to start flashing. So, <laughs> so we had some huge news this week, Shane. We did? <laughs> yeah, well, this isn't really huge news, but I just... Well, we might as well mention it. June the 15th, US President Woodrow Wilson 
signed a bill incorporating the Boy Scouts of America. That is massive. Yeah, is it really? But I like it because I don't know. There, there's some. It's vaguely interesting the Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah. But this is like a quote from him when he signed it in. Um, the Boy Scouts have not only demonstrated their worth to the nation, but have also materially contributed to a deeper appreciation by the American people of a higher conception of patriotism and good citizenship. Every nation depends for its future upon the proper training and development of its youth. The American boy must have the best training and discipline a great democracy can provide if America is to maintain her ideals, her standards, and her influence in the world. Anything that is done to increase the effectiveness of the Boy Scouts of America will be a genuine contribution to the welfare of the nation. <laughs> it's putting like so much importance on the, the Boy yeah, Scouts. Yeah. But when really it was all just, to, you know, busy hands. <laughs> um, but I like this. Have you heard this story? Like the, the guy that formed the Boy Scouts of America, his name's W.D. Boyce. Oh, yeah. But like, just, it's like, just like such a silly story about because yeah the boy scouts was only formed in like 1910 yeah. in america and like i think it existed in i know it was in england beforehand yeah i know I, it came in here around i think like 1918 1919 yeah? something like that. okay I know, I know because i know the story of it relates to it was founded by a woman you tell me that story after this. this is re- I don't know it enough. Oh, okay. But well, it's then. one of those things. Is she's such an interesting character that I'm going to we're going to do a special on her. She's an Irish character. Do you want to um, tell the rough version of the story anyway? No, I can't even think of her name, so <laughs> I won't. <laughs> That's such a thing. Like, um, no, but there's this story or legend like about the, the called the Unknown Scout with a uh, voice, or he was going like he was on his way to a safari in Africa and he stopped off at London and like a really big fog came in and he got trapped on the streets and there was nobody around <laughs> and, he, and he was going to miss his plane or something and then this child came out from the fog and like grabbed his hand and led him to his air back to his hotel or to the airport or something yeah. and got him on his plane and then when he offered the child like a tip for all the work he'd done the child refused it saying that it was his duty as a as a boy scout <laughs> and disappeared back into the fog so he was saved by a ghost yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and apparently well actually that's one for another one is that he just said oh you go down there take a right and oh, yeah. you know he just gave him the directions but that one's much better but either way he told uh boys that he was a boy scout and told him where the headquarters were so on the way back from the safari boys visited I can't remember the guy's name, the the guy over the British one, but he he's he visited him. Maybe I have a I could have written this down. General ever... Robert Baden Powell or Powell. Oh. Sorry, you were going to say something. So I was going to say, were you ever a Boy Scout? Uh, I was. Yeah, I didn't really get anything out of it. Did you? Um, I did the Irish beginners, which is like when you're like five. Cubs, and I, I did uh, beavers and cubs. But I never went into the scouts. I done cubs and then went into scouts, but I didn't stick with it. Like I'm probably. No, I just didn't enjoy it. I was because I, I was a big geek, and they were all like just they're all just jocks. They all just played football every night. That's so all I just, ours I, was. I, like, I just wasn't into it, so I just left. The American Boy Scout one, even like uh, I was laughing 
at what Woodrow Wilson said there, like about how much importance he placed on them. But it kind of they done they done really cool stuff. Like they learn. I was just <laughs> learned how to tie different knots, and that's kind of all I can think of at the moment. But that is still useful. There's oh, but, so but, many times I wish. See, I grew up in a coastal town, and ours was the uh, Sea Scouts. Yeah. And they did a lot of that stuff, but in the scouts. But I lost interest in it when I was like seven, mm. so <laughs> I never got there. We never done anything. We like done a few. Like I learned a few really handy cooking techniques for camping. Oh right, yeah. And that's kind of it, like, and stuff. But stuff I'd have picked up anyway. The one thing I did learn was how to tie my shoelaces. Really, that's that was a, that was one of the first badges I did was learn how to tie your shoelaces. Oh. I didn't so actually, yeah, now that I think about it, yeah. Oh, I guess because that's the beaver, only useful thing. <laughs> what age are you when you're a beaver? Like, I was like six. Oh, something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah, five, five six. I was probably like eight for cubs. So I already. Yeah, I, don't I think, think cubs. Was, I think beavers was five, six, and then seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. Yeah, it was, cubs. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we had beavers. Yeah, must have been a. Yeah. There probably wasn't enough volunteers like to of leaders must be an east coast thing actually well that's what i always found with doing cub scouts it was more an excuse for the parents to meet up and socialize while we just sat there oh really (laughs) or played football at the back of the hall but it was just the leaders like socializing with the parents dropping off their kids oh yeah and it was never only like once every two months when you went on a trip or you went to the cinema like oh yeah and like even that like i remember we went to see Ah, country life. We went to see Dracula dead and loving it. That's one of my only memories from being a Cub Scout. The choice was either that or Michael Collins, which I guess brings it back to this episode in a weird way. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and we went to see Dracula dead and loving it. Is that the... um, Leslie Eddie Nielsen. Mur- oh, sorry. I was thinking of the Eddie Murphy Oh, one. that's a vampire in Brooklyn, I think. That's, sorry, yeah. Um, sorry, that one's hilarious. <laughs> one. Such a weird, like, like these the Boy Scouts of America are off, like, building cabins and stuff. <laughs> and we're going to a cinema to watch Dracula dead and loving it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, Ireland. <laughs> yeah. We did go camping, like, and there's. I showed you the like the our scouts. Well, yeah, we done a bit more on scouts. But remember when we were going to shoot? We wanted to shoot that western. Yeah. Short, like that cabin I showed you. Up oh the yeah, mountains. we're still gonna make that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a nice long tangent. Sorry, go on, tell me more about I, the scouts, Yeah, there's not too much to say now. That I, we, I kind of feel like I should just Google Dracula dead and loving it and <laughs> talk about it. Um, Wasn't that said in? like 18 so yeah okay not relevant <laughs> but anyway yeah so he gave him the address of the british headquarters and so boyce went and met with this uh robert baden Paul or powell and yeah he pretty much got all the information from him of what they'd done there and when he went back to america like began setting it up and four months later he uh he did like it's not there's not too much to say about the boy scouts i have some boy scouts facts that i find funny and we'll go into that but with him setting up what i felt what's really interesting there just to call it back to other stuff we've talked about we've mentioned william randolph Hearst has the newspaper tycoon yeah has come up so much on this this guy wd boyce he was a newspaper man too everybody was a newspaper man and then of course they were they were all newspaper men who went into politics but actually, from just as you're on that, from what I've seen, while going through archives trying to find stories, loads of newspapers disappeared. I I'm even made a note to open up the podcast with talking about that. 
because my entire theory was that was it because we are sorry oh let's start this podcast again we're in 1916 we're two years into world war one one of the biggest wars in history like such a huge loss of human life was it the rationing of the paper i don't know because there's just so many propaganda was such a big thing in world war one that i'd expect i don't know where 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 there's so much propaganda being printed that newspapers just didn't have time so to print many, yeah there's so many archived newspapers that just, they just stop but it's for i went and i looked ahead like and once you get into the 20s it's all back it's literally from 14 to like 1919 oh so the war right? it has to be but i can't figure yeah, out why yeah. from what i can see there was no real like there was huge newspaper rationing was a big thing in world war Two. like that's the only yeah, reason yeah. lord of the rings is three books is because of the paper rationing but the big thing that like from what i've seen is it's all the small local newspapers yeah, that survived yeah. But the big ones, maybe they were printing propaganda leaflets and um, stuff. Oh, and maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. And maybe. just didn't have time. They just got contracts. Yeah, I'd like. But or also like you think of like how, like look at how many people died in World War One. Was it yeah. that was there anybody around to be working in the papers? No. Because all our all the papers we use are American papers, really. All California, yeah. all California stuff, Australian or New Zealand, quite a bit. All people that were involved in the war, like. Yeah, I found a few references in papers from this week in 1916 and uh, there were things that's like what are the women doing and it was just like listing jobs women do yeah, yeah. but there was no information it was just like list of jobs that that's the thing do. any papers I did find even if they're just smaller yeah like they're like four pages like they're leaflets they're newsletters yeah, yeah. like and it seems like there's loads of papers loads of local papers were in the archives that weren't like the way I said there's loads of papers that disappear from 1914 to 1919 the war's 1918, just... Yeah, yeah. I'm not getting that wrong. Um, but the ones that are available for those years aren't for the rest. So it's like they sprang up during the war and then yeah. went away afterwards. So weird. But it has to be related to the war. But just as far as I know, like, new paper, like, they printed loads of stuff in terms of propaganda during the war, whereas World War Two, they rationed the paper. Oh, yeah, there was a specific... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, rationing. Like, like, that's why I said, like, Lord of the Rings was originally, that was just one epic novel. And then, uh, the only reason to cut it into three is because the print and press just was rationing paper because of the war. <laughs> so they just had to release them separately as individual books. Yeah. That's very interesting, Johnny. <laughs> kind of interesting. That was no, no, one th- of yeah, K- that's our fir- that's K- our fir- No, that's our first very interesting fact. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 16 episodes in. <laughs> But yeah, anyway. <laughs> so back to the Boy Scouts. Boyce, when he went back to America, four months into it, or four, four months after he returned, he set up the Boy Scouts of America. But um, William Randolph Hearst had his own. He was feuding. He was a feuding newspaper man with boys. But he also set up the American Boy Scouts. Oh. <laughs> now, there's not much more to say about that. Only that, like they both existed separately, and. Uh, Boyce had huge problems actually getting them recognized like getting that like federal incorporation or whatever getting the tax break and it's probably because fucking Hearst was buying people off like because he wanted he wanted his the American Boy Scouts to be the ones to yeah um, but they didn't couldn't they all just get along yeah like surely there was room for two youth organizations yeah (laughs) but no apparently not Uh, but Hearst uh, his one only existed until 1918 so the boy scouts of american of america won nice i'm sure you thought that that was going to go into far more interesting territory but but i just here's some uh boy scout facts for you 
Actually, here's the Scout Oath. Have you heard the Scout Oath? We didn't have to do it. We just had Scouts Honor. I don't remember. Yeah, I know there's... Where yeah. you, like, you swear, you hold up your hand. It's like, like, you swear to... Yeah. Being a good boy. Like the Scout God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you have to say the Scout Oath in America, uh, for the American Pie Scouts, and this is it. On my honor, I will do my best to, to do my duty to God and to my country and to obey the Scout law. To help other people at all times. To keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. I like the morally straight <laughs> part. Considering their history with homophobic. Um, <laughs> but I like as well in the first line it mentions God. Of course. Yeah. yeah it's, but they are, it's the style of the time, really. Yeah. I think that's still the style now. I think that was like one of the reasons the American Boy Scouts took off, or Boy Scouts of America, was because... It was a time where, like, you hear people talk about the, the Enlightenment era. People had kind of came out of that. They wanted to return to, like, they wanted to put, you know, God-fearing Christians again. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. They wanted to, like, get that, get America back to that and teach young kids the old principles that their grandfathers yeah. had. Like, that's what it was all about. Like, even, like, the the imagery to you see with attached to, like, by Scouts yeah stuff is all like frontier days <laughs> yeah yeah but here this is really this is cool like um some past members 179 u.s astronauts were scouts how many astronauts are there 180 <laughs> i think maybe like 220 or something i think it's like 60 percent or something yeah, yeah. of all astronauts yeah the ones that are, the ones that aren't boy skates were women <laughs> <laughs> what are women are they they're girl guides in oh, okay. Ireland, yeah, they, they do girl scouts in because in America, thirty nine were Eagle Scouts. Oh, Eagle Scouts. Yeah, well, there you go. So the other that's based on from I could be completely wrong on this, but from what I understand from watching TV, is it's based on uh, like American Indian survival skills, oh, like Native American oh, survival skills. That's cool. Yeah, actually, I, I it's think the camping right. skills I think are. Heard heard yeah, yeah. So I think that's what Eagle Eagle. Yeah, scouts I think are. I saw that in an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. I think I saw it in King of the Hill. <laughs> Both really like good sources. King of the Hill actually probably is a really yeah. good source. But uh, 11 of the 12 astronauts who walked on the moon were scouts. Wow. 35% of US military academy uh, members, people that graduated, whatever, yeah. uh, were, were scouts. 13% are Eagle Scouts, so that's the, the women. Um, no, I don't think it is. I think it's men and women. Are Eagle oh, is yeah. it? oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. That's all. When no, no, no. Sorry, no. I thought that's what you had said. No. no oh, no. okay. Not to oh, me. okay. Well, then go back. Okay, then I take back. Then I guess like the other ones that the astronauts that weren't were probably women. Some famous scouts, Neil Armstrong. It makes sense if eleven of the Robert M. Gates, who was the director of the CIA and Secretary of Defense, I actually knew his name, but the mayor of New York. Former mayor. Wait, actually, who's mayor? You hear Michael Bloomberg. He's is he current mayor of New York? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think don't. he is. I'm just thinking. The, the only news I read is from like 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> only time like there's a you see a 9/11 anniversary. Um, it seems pretty much every president as well. Oh yeah, as you can expect, like Kennedy, Bush, Clinton, Obama, Ford, Carter, all Boy Scouts. These aren't that interesting. <laughs> well, from 1912 to 2009 more than 2 million scouts have earned the Eagle Scout rank so I guess that, is, that 
makes sense. So you graduate oh, okay. Eagle, Eagle Scout. Oh, okay. I guess Eagle Scout continues into like teens. Yeah, it must something. do then, yeah. The two millionth Eagle Scout was Anthony Thomas. This is in 2009 in Minnesota. And Anthony rode on that year's Rose Parade float. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a random <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and he is president of this, <laughs> yeah, or he yeah. is, you know, CEO of. <laughs> that's why it was fun. That's all that was there about him. And I Googled him. There's a lot of Anthony Thomas us out there. So, but I was hoping to really find what he's doing now. Because like he won't be that old. Later. He, yeah, like, yeah. he'd be younger than us. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you have time, I might look that up anyway. The first Eagle badge was awarded in 1912. The one millionth Eagle Scout milestone. This I actually found this interesting. The one millionth Eagle Scout milestone was reached in 1982. So from 1912 to 1982, yeah. they got one million. And oh, from wow. 1982 to 2009, it was another million. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. It's a huge increase. You can now get the 12th edition of the Bicycle Handbook on iTunes and Android. And you can get oh, it as wow. an app. Which doesn't show us how the times really have changed. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like, and as well as like just showing like the traditional, like, you know, Boy Scouts going out to the woods and using a map, like, they now teach them how to use GPS and stuff. All like. oh, right. <laughs> Makes sense. They have a Facebook page, of course. Like, of course. And, you know, they're just, it's really modern now. It's just weird. I just never have thought that. Yeah, and even the oh. uniforms now have pockets for phones and MP3 really? players. And, yeah, like they're modern. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird. Like, that is really strange. Sure, all you need is a knife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like because World War One is currently going on, we can hear the bombs going off beyond no man's land. Uh, during World War One, the Boy Scouts of America uh, comprised the largest uniformed body in America, and working in partnership with the Treasury Department, Scouts secured approximately three hundred and fifty million in Liberty Bond. Very juicy as lads. And you know, they pretty much done the, the same in World War Two. Like collecting paper and scrap metal and stuff. Oh but, yeah, yeah. Um there's some like the like cur- like ten million tons of scrap metal was like collected by Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> to build like to build bombs, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, so the Boy Scouts were helped. Though like They did their part. Yeah, they did their part. Well, that's the Boy Scouts of America, as much as I know about them anyway. It's not the most interesting thing in the world. Okay, well, I, I have... This is kind of a re- weird story that caught my eye. It was the headline. And it was only a small little story, but then I did a bit more re- research into it. So, from the headline is, Bird on Trial for Its Life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which, while you're laughing, is a huge misdirection. Oh. I'll read you the article because it's very short. Is It is reported that the English starling, a harmless grub-eating bird, when imported to this country in 1890, has become predatory in its habits and is rapidly driving out the, ne- the negative songbirds, or the native songbirds, sorry, in addition to eating all fruits. So general have been the complaints that the Department of Ag- Agriculture at Washington has sent an expert investigator to this place to begin a study of the bird with a view to exoneration or extermination. (laughs) The starling has prospered until today. He nearly doubles in number any native bird in Connecticut or Rhode Island and is rooting the native birds from their restings and feeding places. Well, 
It's a really badly written. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, local paper um, from the day, sure. Yeah. So I looked into it, right, just to give you a bit of history of why there are English starlings in the US. There was two failed attempts to introduce the birds previously. Um, and then in 1890... Sorry, si- can I, are starlings, are they the one that kind of look like a robin? Like they're small, are they? Similar, they're more like a little they're blackbird. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, they have sorry. kind of a colored breast That's rather than a red breast. It's oh, more okay. like a... But they are small, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, in 1890, right, 60 common starlings were introduced into New York by a man named uh, Eugene Shefflin, and he was the president of the American Acclimatization Society. And their aim was to introduce every bird species mentioned in the works of William Shakespeare into the US. (laughs) That is not a, that's not good motivation to do something <laughs> like that. Like that won't help the ecosystem. <laughs> well, this is the problem, right? There was another attempt by the Portland Bur- uh, Songbird Club, and they introduced thirty-five pairs of common starlings, uh, which was successful until they just mysteriously disappeared in nineteen oh two. They were just gone. There wasn't any more of them. But then they came. But the original sixty from New York bred and spread so much that by the 1940s they were then in Portland. Right. The original 60 is now an estimated number of 150 million <laughs> right, across the whole continent. And to just give you a little bit of idea, what have I got here? I have a report that I found. Uh, I couldn't find any more reports from 1916, yeah, yeah, but this yeah. is a report written in 1928 uh, called The Spread of the European Starling in North America and it was by May Thatcher Cook who worked for the U.S. State Department of Agriculture uh, in 1928. And I've just taken some bullet points out of the this big, long report that uh, May wrote. And it's, uh, in its original habitat, the starling breeds from Norway to North Russia and to the Mediterranean. It migrates to North Africa and India in the colder months. It was from these regions that it was introduced to then South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. And then by natural migration... It has spread to Fiji and other islands. Uh, in all these regions, it has thrived rapidly. In North America, the starling now uh, occurs from the Atlantic coast to the Mississippi River. But within this range, it is unevenly distributed. And in sections where it is permanently resident, there are many localities where it is still unknown. It seems advisable to trace and record further its spread in this co- country and thus make the data generally available. An earlier publication of, from the Department of Agriculture has traced uh, the spread of the sterling in North America to January 1924, since which time we have discovered the range of the bird has nearly doubled <laughs> four years later. Jesus. <laughs> That's insane. crazy. So from 1924 to 1928, the population doubled. It's just crazy. Like they, it's, So they've just caused these huge problems for farmers and they were taken out like other birds of similar sizes and stuff like that more like just taking over nests and stuff wasn't it then they were necessarily like killing them but they were just basically surrounding them so they didn't have time to breed or like yeah, eating yeah. all the food for them and that kind of stuff and they're just a pest and they're now like or from what i could read up on it like they're just worldwide <laughs> now yeah, yeah. from people because people took them to australia and like all the colonies basically they took starlings with them because they 
nice birds and they're nice songbirds and this kind of stuff. But they just, being in warmer climates, they just like just exploded in population. Yeah, yeah. and destroyed loads of native species and stuff. So that's where you have like you know the way in Australia you can't bring in uh, species. Yeah, yeah. Species like they've had like huge that. problems. Yeah, and they've the same in. Have you heard why uh, like that Johnny Depp can, might might be facing up to oh, ten years in dogs with them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. When you heard like what happened, like oh, it's probably I don't know the year, like like the fifties. There was a rabbit introduced to Australia. Oh yeah, yeah. And like what like ra- rabbits breed like rabbits <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i guess because of the climate there and because of the land was actually so suitable to them yeah it like tripled quadrupled like they're at the rate like they got to a point where they had to like it started at the bottom of australia yeah and they had to just give up on that 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 was now they, the rabbits were a pest there they had to build fence they moved up and built like the wall <laughs> oh yeah there's <laughs> to, to rabbit st- fences yeah yeah, yeah, yeah just to stop yeah. them from had the night watchman up there to fight them <laughs> off like <laughs> it's the same with foxes in australia as well because foxes yeah, are yeah. so adaptable they were introduced there to be hunted weren't they yeah yeah and they're like an adaptable they're such an adaptable species like they can just survive anywhere and brought them onto australia and they just like destroyed yeah, loads of species yeah. of like rodents and things like that and they've just spread around it's crazy it's amazing there was somebody um it's happened a few times i think it's mayo could be sligo somewhere that general direction that uh, somebody keeps reintroducing the boar, wild boar into woods there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just for hunting, like, so as they can go out then in a few weeks and hunt them as wild game, like, but because some get away and breed. Yeah, I don't think the guys that reintroduced them mind that because that just means more game for them. Because, like, I heard, I think, like, a pig, you re- if you introduce a pig to the wild, it wins six weeks, it goes feral. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, and that's what they do to reintroduce them. Then six months or six weeks later, come back and hunt them. It's mad for a sport. Like uh, I've I've an uncle of mine. He does it with pheasant for hunting. Yeah, they I think you're allowed to do it with pheasant. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they do it meat. Is they whereas boar is actually really dangerous. Like yeah, 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 they're they're violent. Like they're um, but uh, yeah, they killed one killed Robert Baratheon. <laughs> <laughs> two games of Game of Thrones reference in the space of two minutes. You're on a roll. Considering it just ended, um, <laughs> I only watched the finale last night. So. <laughs> you, you okay? Yeah, yeah I, well, I knew it was coming. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I knew it was coming because I read the book, not because I okay, thought it was yeah, predictable yeah, yeah. or anything. It wasn't predictable at all. But. No, 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 it came out of nowhere. But yeah, the, that's all I have on the Sterlings. <laughs> but, no, the, but just that's... it was just mad. They've just spread so much, but they've spread across. Like they're pretty much anywhere within like. A few hundred, maybe about a thousand miles of an English colony, old English colony. Mm. There is starlings, <laughs> like they've just spread That's over great. to different islands and stuff. They're pretty much all over the world now, where they used to be only uh, like northern Europe. Yeah, yeah, and now they're everywhere because Shakespeare liked them. So That's what's great about yeah, they all cut that. That's why they were reintroduced. They wasn't <laughs> to help the eco. Like there was no. Oh, this no, guy no, no, had no. no theory of how this could benefit the ecosystem because yeah. they do that a lot too they'll reintroduce animals to actually help like have you heard they're talking about reintroducing the wolf to wicklow to the wicklow mountains oh really yeah yeah they're talking like it's not going to happen because people are protesting that like particularly oh, yeah. farmers but they'd want to reintroduce six just six wolves and you know they'll grow in numbers over time but six yeah, yeah. isn't huge like they're not going to 
put like 50 of them in yeah 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 and like but they think like it will actually they want to control the the deer population because that's getting really out of control it's oh particularly yeah. stags like there's yeah you're not you can't hunt deer in ireland there's no apex predator to hunt them yeah. so all you have is like and deer like stags when they get old they go mental oh, yeah. and just kill young herd members and it's really bad for the ecosystem because yeah. you just have a bunch of old violent stags going around <laughs> yeah. killing all the young um whereas they're the ones that are hunted normally by hunters when they hunt they typically yeah, hunt yeah. stags um wolves will take down will hunt an older stag because they're only after meat they don't, they yeah, don't have any slower. pride of hunting a younger male like yeah they're um, not looking for sweeter meat yeah so they actually need something to control that and like introducing a wolf or you know given hunting licenses for a particular stag might be uh, i would have thought that would make more sense yeah, well, I I would like I kind of like the idea of wolves in the Wicklow Mountains because the thing oh, is, yeah. wolves don't actually really attack people. That's just something that's in movies. <laughs> like, no, they don't come near. No, if you if you actually chase one, he might try and defend himself. But yeah, but it's like it's the same. Like a dog, it's very rare that a dog would randomly attack somebody. Mm. It's if you hop the wall in someone's garden and there's a dog there, it'll defend its territory. Yeah, like yeah, the, it's, yeah. Very different. Well, like, wolf won't even wolf won't even defend its territory. It'll defend like its pack. Yeah, but yeah. It'll defend its young, its pack. Yeah, yeah. And but don't go near a, one. A when swan, it's a swan will do the same. Like <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And like even because like one of the debate, like thinking, you know, wolves will like then like farmers it will attack farm animals and stuff like that. Yeah, and, like that is true, but it's going to be very infrequent. Like, and the wolf, yeah. like we had wolves here. For like hundreds and thousands of years, exactly. That is it. Is it fair that they're that, not here anymore? Yeah, no. like like okay. So you are, are a farmer in the Wicklow Mountains, like, and you have one more problem, but that's we're maybe that's the price you have to pay for being a human and farming animals. Like yeah, yeah. I I I mean, no, selfish. I don't own a farm, so it's easy for me. <laughs> I just like the idea of wolves wandering around the Wicklow Mountains. That'd be great, though. You, know, you can go camping and you just. To see a wild wolf, yeah, that'd be awesome, amazing. But like they were in uh, Yellowstones. <laughs> I was about to say Jellystones. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say the same. Um, like they reintroduced the wolves there, and it made a huge difference on the ecosystem. Like it actually made the rivers run better. Yeah, because because there was no wolves there and there was no predator to hunt all these smaller animals. They. Well, for bears like completely decimated the salmon population or something. I'm, I'm, no, I wish I had notes for this, but you know, like, yeah, yeah. There was other animals roaming free. There was nothing to hunt deers, which meant there was no smaller animals eating the insects that would be along the river. Oh, okay. Which yeah. meant the rivers sort of or the banks sort of dried out, and there was no trees growing there. Like over time, just because there was no wolves, yeah, the entire forest started to kind of die off a bit. Wow. And it's because it was like a party for all the other animals had free reign. Yeah, yeah. And they could do what they wanted. So they just ruined the park. And when they reintroduced the wolf within like a decade, new trees were growing, like, and the oh, rivers yeah, were yeah, running yeah. better. Like, they actually just completely. Animals weren't just lazily hanging around the river banks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, maybe, it, I don't know is if Wicklow is in. The Wicklow Mountains have any real problems other than the deer, but I imagine it would improve the ecosystem. And we get to see wolves when we go camping. Yeah. And plus, like, I wrote a script for a post-apocalyptic short, and I really need a shot of a wild wolf in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
That's your real motivation. <laughs> I can't, it? like, I mean, although there's people with, you kind of have pet wolves. There are wolves in Ireland. People have pet wolves, yeah, yeah. like, which, and they probably should, like, that's why, that's they why, they're, yeah, like, that's the ridiculous part. They shouldn't be allowed pet wolves. No. But you're allowed pet wolf, but they can't put them in the wild. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, another thing this week, now this is kind of a, well, at some, at some stage this week, uh, John Ronald Raoul Tolkien composed the poem The Lonely Isle. Oh, so right. J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings writer, oh. who by what we referenced earlier, by complete... Yeah. How did we even reference him? So we're talking about Viggo Mortensen? Mortar? No, we were talking about the... Oh, paper. Paper. paper, paper yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, because... Um, do you know the reason I know this? Well, because on the 7th of June, he was... He fought in World War One. Oh, okay. Um... Actually, yeah. Sorry, we go backstory first, I guess. So, Jerry uh, talking. He wasn't. He was at. He was uh, doing a degree at Oxford in English language and literature, which yeah. makes sense. Uh, around in nineteen fourteen, when England declared war on Germany, and you know, he didn't want to leave uh, Oxford, so he joined uh, the training corps, which deferred his enlistment until he'd finished his degree. You know, a bunch of his friends, like other writers, they, they actually this is weird. Like they had this club called the Tea Club. Oh, right. That was their un- their little Oxford club. I don't. Know, I just found that funny. But um, yeah, a bunch of his friends that were members of that, they all went off and fought in the war as well. There's some depressing stuff writings about that. Yeah. So when he, he finished in 1915, and so was enlisted in in the army, the volunteer army, and yeah, that's what pretty much what led to him. You know, I think March 1916, he was shipped off to train in France, like in a British training camp or whatever. Yeah. But still, he, he didn't actually see any battle yet, but it was on June 7th, so a little earlier. He was informed he had been assigned as a signals officer. While awaiting his, to find out like his regiment and stuff, he was pretty much just, he was really bored and on the way, while he was traveling, he just wrote this poem called The Lonely Isle, which really like is a, I think I don't really know it, but Tolkien fans yeah. know it really well. Like, and it's his famous poem. And the reason I, I reckon, well, he wrote it this week because on June twenty seventh, um, he 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 met up and joined his new regiment. So if he wrote the he wrote this poem between first going over to France okay, and yeah, yeah. The, on the set between the seventh and the twenty seventh, he was at least finishing it up this week. Like, so that's yeah, my yeah, right, that's roundabout fair. way to. Uh, to explain why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's only coming in, it's 1916 now, two years into the war, but he still, he winds up in, like, the interesting, harsh part of the war, like, as he comes into France in June 1916. So his battalion was sent to, sent to France. Uh, he had three weeks of training. Yeah. Which, not much. Three, sorry, three weeks training, that's so little. Yeah, well, three weeks, like, because he, like I said, he had enlisted to the, um, what were they called? When he was doing his degree, he joined the, the training corps. So, okay, he still, so he had some training. Yeah, yeah, but like this was step foot in France. You have like three weeks of like to train you for what? The war, the current war that's going on. Okay, <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Now that we know this is how the war has been fought, here's how you yeah, dig yeah. a trench. <laughs> Piss on this rag and cover your face and it'll protect you against mustard gas. <laughs> like that uh, yeah, type yeah. of... <laughs> that's a guess. Like, yeah. <laughs> This no. is how you take a bullet in the heart. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is actually, oh man, it would be good to have Gary because I want to know what uh, 
exactly his job consisted of. Oh yeah. Um, Are you gonna read the poem? Oh, should I read the poem? I thought that's what you were building up to. Like, it's a very long. Well, it's not really long. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not. Uh, yeah, so I, I've got some. Uh, I guess I don't know if this is what a signals man is, but okay. Well, so he was responsible for maintaining communication between officers in field and army staff uh, responsible for directing the battle. The information would be used to direct artillery fire to where it was needed, send or withdraw reinforcements and support any gains the attackers made against the German lines. He would have learned how to make use of field telephones, flares, signal lamps, Morse code buzzers, carrier pigeons, runners, and other devices deemed necessary to keep lines of communication open. Finally, when preparations... I'm reading all of this, sorry. (laughs) In case it wasn't obvious. Uh, Finally, when preparations were complete, uh, his battalion was sent to the front to join the great joint British-French attack that was supposed to break through the German lines. Yeah, there you go. And actually, and this attack would be later known as the Battle of the Somme. Uh, okay. It's a very famous <laughs> battle. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I've read it. So he, he was lucky in that his, his battalion was assigned to the reserves at the beginning of the battle, which was the, the day that I think the mo- I think the first day oh, yeah. was the biggest loss of human life in British history. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't there on the the initial attack. He was just, you know, it's gonna be pretty horrible. No matter yeah. where you are in that battle, like you're still watching. Like I'd say, like the, the Tea Party, the three, the, the other members of the Tea Party that he had when he was in Oxford, all of them died in World War One. Wow. He was the only one that survived. So that's stuff going. Yeah, and that um at the battle of some because like you know when you the image because like World War One was such a different war than the ones we that was the last so different to like world war ii yeah yeah because it was literally like people in trenches then like this empty mad max wasteland and then other people in trenches the other side bonkers way of fighting that's what like because you know they they call that no man's land where it's just that area of just bodies like that's what sorry i went away from the mic um because you hear like he's always said that like the lord of the rings books weren't based on his experiences in the no. war or anything. Yeah. But of course, like, they obviously influence it in some way. Like, but you know, yeah. I can't remember what the place is called. But you know, it's in the books and the movie. Like, you know, when Sam and Frodo wouldn't have to cross that, uh, like, bog marshland. Yeah. Where there was yeah. that battle that happened thousands of years ago. And there's still the yeah. ghosts underneath it. Like, that's clearly, like, no, that's no man's land. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. Um, <laughs> that's a great scene as well. Great image. Sorry, where was I? We were just, yeah. Um, <laughs> And he was one of the la- he was the only survivor of his of party. his tea party. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, and the the battle of the Somme, well, like that wasn't just like a two week battle. Like that lasted for like I don't know the number, but it was like six or seven months. Like that just went yeah. on. So even though he was in the reserves, like he, he was still there for the entire thing. If he was at the front line, he'd be dead. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so maybe you like if you're in the reserve, like maybe you have a worse. Because yeah. you have to go through the entire thing. <laughs> like, I used to walk through all the bodies. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. When he was I, there long... Well, well, I'm saying, like, I think I'd rather be on the front line and yeah. die on day one yeah. rather than have to go I, through... I always remember, and it's actually, like, it's a really good joke, but it's a really good actual true representation of, like, what World War One was like. If you've ever watched... Um, Blackadder uh, goes forth, mm. which is all set in World War One. Yeah, but there's yeah. in one of the episodes, there's a really fun, and it's uh, Stephen Fry plays like the I think he's the major, 
or the current or the general in it and uh there's like someone is showing like a captain is showing him and they have on the table a bit of meter of grass and uh, they're like general this is what we've claimed today and he's just like fantastic and what does this represent what's the scale they're like no 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 this is the grass we claimed today <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like ah and how many men did it cost us Oh, only 70,000. It was, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> and he's like, so this is a scale. And they're like, no, no, this is the actual land we claimed today. We brought it here to show you. <laughs> and that was World War One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's really, no, I must check that out. That's yeah. very funny. I have a box set I'll give you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd love to blitz. Yeah, that'd be good, actually, just to blitz all Blackadder now. Uh, yeah. It's I been have, so I've, long since I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I've the whole uh, thing. So it sounds like that joke sounds like the opposite of the Zoolander what is this? A school for ants? Oh, yeah. It should be at least three times the size. <laughs> <laughs> like it's um, a model, sir. It's um, it's, 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 it's the opposite joke. Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, like such a horrible war. It's so different. It's not like this is in World War One, but I was reading um, the Hemingway novel uh, For Whom the Belt Holds, and that's like the Spanish War, but it's about this American Robert Jordan who's fighting for the Republic. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the good guys. <laughs> and, like, the entire thing is just about blowing up a bridge. Like, yeah. he's a dynamite expert, and he's meets the rebels, and the, the rebels are all living in the mountains. You'd actually really like it. Like, it's a really good novel. And, it, like, Hemingway's, like, there's not a trace of humour in Hemingway. Like, Hemingway's so bleak. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, even though, apparently, he was funny in real life. Oh, really? When he was hanging around with Orson Welles, he was funny, but otherwise he was... <laughs> yeah, and, like, the amount of, like, just horrible, awful stuff that happened and the amount of death, and it's all just to blow up a, a bridge. Yeah, all just to get there. Yeah, just yeah. to blow a bridge, so it's one day... There's one army is going to go around the mountains and attack a base, and they just want to have this bridge blown, so his defence can't come through it to oh, yeah, help yeah. the... the the fascists the <laughs> but yeah so it's all but really like the, the their mission is just to blow the bridge and you're just like oh why did i just go home like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it does even like metallica have a song called for whom the bell tolls there is a there's is maybe they didn't actually read the book they just like the title of the book but there's is more about protecting just fighting for a hill oh yeah um, but just yeah that idea like the black adder joke like just that yeah, that one amount of thing. death for that one thing but uh yeah Tolkien anyway back to Tolkien that was oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so he took part in two major offenses against the Germans on his first day in the trenches trenches his battalion was part of an unsuccessful attack on Orvilliers a village held well, that was held by uh Germans uh they were pretty much just taken out by machine gun fire wow and they took back part in a second attack a handful of them walked away like he was involved in some really bad really bad day for Tolkien but yeah and apparently like his biggest because he was like a signal man like his biggest problem in the war was just the conditions of being like in Trent because like his weather was so bad and just because so many like millions of people had not well, maybe not millions but like half a million like 60,000 soldiers had died in yeah. one day at one point so I'm assuming like yeah, a yeah. lot of people had gone through those trenches like yeah. imagine how like muddy and just awful the soil was so just like like running cables like for radio communication oh, through yeah. that like it just wasn't happening so he had a really really tough job 
Like, think of a music festival, except everyone has died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the conditions you're walking through. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's crazy, like, when you think of it. Yeah, like, so, apparently, like, he just cut and used, like, the telephones and, the cut, like, the cut and relay information. Yeah. And, yeah, and then at one point, like, the Germans had tapped into their networks and stuff. And for some reason, I couldn't read, Morse code buzzers were forbidden. So, oh, okay. and I'm not sure why, I guess, is that because, was that what was tapped there? Could you tap into Morse code? Yeah, like, once you interrupt, uh, okay. if you could interrupt the cables, you see. Yeah. So apparently they just relied on messenger pigeons. Like yeah. that was, and like, I was reading up, I'm not going to go into it, oh, yeah. but like. Uh, anybody listen go up and read how much message, messenger pigeons were actually used in world war one they were used more than ravens are in a game of thrones third reference, third reference. <laughs> well, we're talking about tolkien so we can get a good view exactly. now. yeah yeah because yeah, like up there's what i knew that they were used but like yeah. i thought most of that was informed by catch that pigeon but yeah Yeah. like it was a lot but and and apparently it was around well not around this time because like they wouldn't just be in the trenches like because you know they were at places that were at least were once towns yeah like there would be a lot of like old um citizen citizen houses pedestrian houses whatever um would be used like as canteens and stuff yeah and it was around there like when during the days when he when he wasn't on duty or when he was on guard duty or something where he started to like create his own languages because he was a study he studied languages and all oh, this of course, and yeah, yeah. his whole idea were creating lord of the rings like he wasn't writing you know he wasn't like george R. R. martin wanting to write game of thrones yeah he he just wanted like he he was a fan of like you know homer and the odyssey and yeah, yeah beowulf and all this and he just wanted to create a mythology and before the like cause he invented that those type of fantasy novels in a way yeah, yeah but he, he didn't want to make one of them he wanted to make like some a new mythology like what the romans and the greeks had and he kind of did and he did yeah yeah <laughs> he succeeded well he did in the sense that now everybody's writing similar stuff to him yeah, like, yeah, yeah. um yeah and so he's the sort of foundation of that started during the war in terms of that's where he started actually making up i can't i I remember, like, Nonsense Speak was the name of the first language he made up. <laughs> That's a great name. But anyway, uh, so then in October of this year, he contracted trench fever, um, which was a disease carried by lice, and uh, he was sent home to get better. And he spent the rest of 1916 and early 1917 in hospital until his fever finally subsided. Wow. And, well, that's how he got out of the war, essentially. yeah. yeah. Um, he was still posted, like, you know, to camps in England and stuff like that. And he still served until the end of the war, but he never saw any more action. Yeah. This is where he, he starts writing uh, all his legendary tales. And that's, yeah, that's Tolkien. Cool. But, yeah, like, there's we could go into that loads, but... We won't. <laughs> we won't, because um, we've gone long enough. Yeah, yeah. But, but I would say, like, for anybody, like... I, it's I, I didn't even do much on it because i mean he's a very famous author like you can yeah, find exactly. out lots of information there is though there's a really good book uh J, it's just called J.R. tolkien and the great war and it's actually conveniently enough it is on audible 
and if you are listening to this and you heard there's an ad at the top of it you can get a free audiobook you can get J.R. Tolkien and the Great War or any Tolkien book the Lord of the Rings trilogy is on there there's a bunch of different versions read by different people you can get one of them but I recommend getting the Great War anyway J.R. Tolkien and the Great War you can get that and a 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash yesteryears news today uh, uh. I was wondering how you're going to do should I give you a little story here uh, yeah you should um, I have a little one well I have a couple of short stories from just newspapers they're um, always the best aren't they yeah, yeah. Um, I give you this one because it just sounds like absolutely I, I don't know how other ways to say it except it sounds like absolute bollocks <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to read this to you exactly as it is and, okay and this is a story I took out of a newspaper that was written this week in 1916 that's just how it reads reads like complete bull <laughs> rat as big as cat <laughs> John Sick Sexton tells a rat story uh, he says he baited his rat trap one night and the next morning he found that two of the rodents had become ensnared so he thought he would let them remain in the trap overnight and perhaps they would attract others on the second morning John again inspected his trap and found only one rat. But he, as John described him, was a large, was as large as a tomcat. The two caught on the previous night were of ordinary size, full grown. John said there was a mystery. What had become the fir- what had become of the first two rats you caught was asked, and John solemnly declared that the big rat had eaten the other two. <laughs> I don't know. Is this like, <laughs> that's it? That's it. Is it written like? Is it a joke? I think, like... Is it... Is, like, it, just the way it's written, it's so weird. Like, is that... Was there... Because, like, I see... It's weird. Like, this was as an article in the yeah. newspaper. It wasn't even put in, like, in, like, a section under where people write stuff in, like a story. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Like, this is, I've this seen, is published by a journalist <laughs> in 1916. I've <laughs> seen jokes in papers that aren't too unsimilar to that, but there'll, always, there'll be the headline, A Chance to Smile, or, or like, fo- The Funny Box... And then there'll be joke articles written, but there's the head. It's almost like there was papers that at the back, they had their own, like, The Onion. Yeah, yeah. But they told you that this was the joke part. So if that didn't say it, I... Was that... And I take it that was one of the local papers. Yeah, it was from, like, the Sausalito News or something that I found it on. Because, like, that we were saying earlier, there's so few of them were archived around yeah, yeah. World War One. Um... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like it just reads like just just kind of going from what became of the other two rats you caught was asked by who? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that didn't even occur to me when you read it. Are you asking him this as the journalist? Like, this is so weird. So another one, again from the same paper on the same page, uh, in the same uh, in nineteen sixteen. Eighty chickens in pie. <laughs> In order to feed 350 members of the loyal men's Bible class of the First Christian Church at a banquet, Reverend Seor Hudson had a local restaurant bake 80 hens in a chicken pie four feet wide and one hen deep and 11 feet long. And that's oh. it. That's all it says. I'm trying to visualise that. <laughs> so let me give you... The, the, what a weird so measurement. 80 hens, right? four feet wide 11 feet long and the depth is one hen deep that's a that, big pie yeah so that's like 
I mean, how big? That's a banquet table. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's longer than the length of this room that we're in. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hen deep. Yeah. Also, like, it sounds like it's just live chickens. I know, <laughs> yeah. <doing it's> <laughs> it makes like, me think of, like, the dandy when you eat, like, cow pie. Yeah. With the like, horns sticking out. You just kind of think of, like, these, like, just whole chickens. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, you know, uh, and everything. when they cut the, the pie at Joffrey's wedding with the, like, the pigeon, no, is it pigeon pie or I something? I think so, yeah, yeah. And they cut it, then the pigeons fly out or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that one wasn't even, like, I forgot. Even about it. <laughs> no, I had forgotten we were oh, doing the reference yeah, yeah. thing. It actually is the first thing I thought <laughs> of when you said it. Oh, right. It was just a really weird, and that's it, it was just a little snippet. Just... Now, this one is mental. The last one I have, a little story, is, uh, <laughs> it's the best headline ever. Suicide changed mind. <laughs> Taste of carbolic acid showed Smith he didn't want to die. In uh, in Indianapolis, Edward O. Smith, aged 25, of M. North Jefferson Avenue, decided to commit suicide, but quickly changed his mind after he had tasted a small quantity of carbolic acid. Uh, the customary fateful note in which he had attributed his de- uh, dependency to a quarrel with his wife was found in his pocket. Smith staged his attempt at suicide in a drugstore at uh, Illinois and Washington streets. Uh, after the clerk had sold him the acid, he turned around and held the upturned bottle to his lips. A moment later, he gave out a shriek through the bottle and uh, remaining bit of acid at the clerk <laughs> and then fell against the counter an ambulance <laughs> took him to the city hospital physicians at the hospital said that Smith's tongue was slightly burned but that he had not swallowed any of the acid <laughs> so again he went into a drugstore bought a bottle of acid went to drink it as soon as it like hit his tongue he realised this is a terrible way to kill myself and just went, like, <laughs> threw it back at the clerk. I hope he made that noise and that action yeah, yeah. you done. Well, at least it a shriek, so it was probably like, a, ah! Yeah, 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 yours is better, though. If he made that into a skit, you'd have to play him and do that exact reaction. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just your reaction seems like so subdued for what it actually is. Yeah, yeah, like it should be way worse. <laughs> yeah, like but it's perfect. Like, it's so much funnier. Why did he think drinking acid would be a good way to kill himself? <laughs> I have something you will really like. Oh, okay. Because it's something you really liked before. It's close. Now, unfortunately, it's not as feel-good as the version we had before, in that it's not remotely... We're not... There's not going to be... Is this bleak? There's not going to be any laughs in it, anyway. Oh, okay. But it's something really... Like, it's... Okay, you really liked the diary of Albert Hunt. Yes, I <laughs> did. Um... Which, which I need to point out, you missed uh, the day after my wedding weed and afters oh, in yeah, yeah. Um, my in-law's house. And their neighbour, he cuts wood for business. <laughs> and he has this like whole workshop in his garden. And we had a big garden party. And in the garden, he takes old pallets. Oh, he literally cuts wood for business. He literally cuts wood for business. Oh. Right? <laughs> and uh, he, took, he gets old pallets and he takes all the nails out of them and then cuts them down for kindling for fires and then sells them in bags as kindling for fires. He cuts wood for business. And he cuts wood for business. I mean, you've kind of cut wood for business. 
Yeah, yeah I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, he he literally just. Oh uh, yeah, he actually. Song. Yeah, I mean, we made art out of Johnny. <laughs> it's totally different. Um, <laughs> but I want to like I want to make my own rum because you know I've made wine and cider and stuff, but I want to make rum and have a picture of both of us on it with uh like his lumberjacks <laughs> and like cutting wood for business not call it but that'd be the tagline like cutting wood for business since 1803 what 1901 because that's yeah, the podcast yeah. the the rum would have to be labeled something relating to the show like yesteryear's rum or something Great or just Albert Hunt Rome because they always oh have yeah because it's always like James Cook Rome or something so it's just yeah. Albert Hunt or is it Hunter Hunter yeah sorry yeah, Albert, Albert, Hunt. Albert Hunter Rome cutting business since Cut, yeah cutting wood for business <laughs> since, since 1901 <laughs> that's, that's perfect that's our la- I'm gonna make that label yeah, yeah I'll make the rum you make the label we can give it out as prizes we can't sell it because we don't no, it's illegal, yeah, yeah. but we can give it I think it, that's a really good idea I think point. if we have if we ever had like a, a podcast party. We yeah. could just supply the alcohol. We could probably can't post alcohol to people. We could do a raffle or something. Or just like... the live one. Inst- like if we just had an event, like a live event. Yeah. And have like free booze. Because people won't come to see us. We'll come <laughs> for the free booze. <laughs> and we can just make it the, the ro- our own rum. Because yeah. then it advertise the podcast as well. Because you have a, the podcast URL on the label. That is a great idea. I hope everybody likes hearing a production meeting <laughs> as a podcast. <laughs> We're doing that. Okay, uh, so uh, you have a new diary. Yeah, yeah, a new diary. Now, this is the diary of Thomas Frederick Littler. L-I-T-T-L-E-R. So I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. Now, this is a war journal. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be funny. I'll laugh. There's like... it's. <sighs> No, it's not funny. Now, my worry is that this might be too long now. If the podcast cuts out and we say goodbye now, there's wait a day or two and there'll be an extra, extra with this war journal. Hold on. Yes. So, uh, a bit of background on him. So, Fred Littler joined, he joined the Cheshire Regiment shortly after his 17th birthday in 1914. Uh, He trained in Cambridge, uh, Northampton and Norwich. Uh, So, he signed up for foreign service on his 18th birthday. And after some further training, left England. Three weeks, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, it won't be much more considering... But no, yeah, like... Well, he, he, by March 1916, he was shipping out. So his diary, his diary scri- describes his experiences in northern France for 11 months from April 1916. So, and he there's a preface to his diary, and it just says diary of all i did and places where i was in action during the great european war of the years 1914 15 16 17 18 and 19 wow so now this is going to be all me reading this is going to be like the albert hunt one yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so this is just uh, we'll, i'm not going to start on this week just yet i just want to give you an idea of his this is his very first entry this is back from january 2nd okay. 1916 I was taken ill with horse eczema on the arms and went into the first Eastern General Hospital in Cambridge for treatment. That's his first entry, so <laughs> already, like, bad. Hey. Well, that's his first entry from 1916. Like, yeah. I left hospital and went home 10 days sick leave. So, score for him. Then January 21st, I went back to Cambridge and signed uh, Foreign Service same day. 
So that's just essentially what I've already told you. Yeah. Those 18 birthday ships off. So he's in the army now. He shipped off on March 1916. So it's June 14th. 1916 returned to the company at 10 a.m and this afternoon two more men were buried in a dugout and one private george shaw who joined the battalion the same day as myself was killed having both his legs blown off and the other private beasley had one leg blown off and was just alive when i got out i mounted guard this afternoon until 4 p.m the following day Uh. (laughs) yeah I mean, I laugh, but that laugh wasn't that what happened. It was no, at, like, how nothing uh, nice is going to happen here. June fifteenth, nineteen sixteen. Oh, and this is all this week. Just uh, referenced, yeah. This, yeah, yeah, this week, uh, paraded at seven thirty p.m. and dug on top from the front line support to the fire trench. The new CT was called New Yiddish Street. The night was quiet except for a little machine gun fire, and returned to billet at three a.m. A billet is, um, I think that's that's like, again, that's a house that's been yeah. used to station them away from the trenches. June 16th, we laid trench boards in New Yiddish Street from 10 a.m. till 1 p.m. And at night paraded at 9 p.m. dug out a new ambulance trench from Yale Street uh, <laughs> to the new fire trench. The moon was full and the night very light and we got heavy machine gun fire for 20 minutes Afterwards, the night was very quiet. Second Lieutenant Larn of our platoon was wounded by the machine gun fire in the ribs and legs. June 17th. We turned out at 11 a.m. to work, but had to return at 12 noon as Yale Street was being heavily shelled. We had a draft from D Company sent to us as our company had got so weak from men going to hospital with wounds and sickness. We paraded at 9 p.m. and passed up Calvary Street, but had to wait while, but had to wait a while, as the Germans were shelling the woods heavily through which the trench passed. Whilst waiting, a shrapnel shell burst overhead. One man, Private jo- Joe Orm, was hit in the face. The bottom lip being torn off, and his bottom teeth being knocked out. Afterwards, we worked in in Young Street, running off the end of Calvary Street. The night on the whole was quiet but one of the reinforcements from D Company was killed being shot through the head with a machine gun bullet. So, so far... Good day. Yeah, good week. We're not even through. This is... We're doing for June the 21st. He's not halfway through. He hasn't caught up with this week yet. That's all. Yeah. The first few days of this week. June 18th, 1916. We worked as usual both morning and night, but all was quiet and we had no casualties. June 19th, 1916. This morning, each man had two boxes of hand grenades to carry up the front-line trench, and then we came back to two billets. Um, and in the afternoon, B Company came up to Hebertun, Hebertun? Oh, that's the town, I don't know how to pronounce it, to relieve us, and we marched back 10 kilos to Saustra, and when passing through Sely Ubois, I noticed the civilians had left their homes since we went up. Sure. Nice sight. <laughs> like the civilians had just abandoned. Or, yeah. Um, June 20th. We left Saustra and marched through Henu and passed to Granas, a village about te- 10 kilos from Saustra. Here we were still within sound of the guns and we were out for... Sorry, is England... 
it's very it's written very that one passage is written really weirdly um here we were still within sound the sound of gunfire i assume and we were out for the rest of training for an offensive i assume we're out for the rest of the night training for an offensive yeah um and catch up to today june 21st 1916 <laughs> uh, i did sanitary work for the company and did a journey to Pomora, a village midway between Halai and Greenus. And it goes on. The 22nd is just carried on as I did on the 21st. Do you want me to stay going? I think what you should do is, for the next couple of episodes where we're in World War One, yeah, you should read more from it. You're being very optimistic and assuming... No, I don't mean... Um, but you should continue, say even still doing 1916 but we could do it next week and the week after and stuff while the or while the war was on if you know what i mean yeah but i think that i was my idea was to do a different they get somebody else's journal for next week oh, from okay. 1917 because yeah, yeah. it could get just too confusing doing somebody's 1916 journal yeah, in okay, 1917 yeah. there's a bit more to say about it for okay, the next yeah, few yeah. okay yeah do next few um so june 29th we stood all day to move up but did not the bombardment in the line was increasing every day and was now practically continual june 30th we stood till 4 p.m when we handed in our packs and all personal effects and started for the line going forward in artillery formation passed through Boyancourt and sally du pass or sally du pass up to hebertoon and the bombardment was more fierce than before and we knew we had to attack in the morning and the minutes seemed like hours. Wow. So that was June 30th. Yeah. Another call back to earlier. July 1st we're on now. After having had our rum issue, we stood till 7.25am. Do you know what the, the rum issue was? The issue? Yeah, it was a, like the rum ration. Well, I think this was it. I've heard about it with the Navy. Or yeah. like it was a ration. You, you, were allow, you were given, allocated a daily amount of rum. Oh, yeah. In the mornings, <laughs> to calm your nerves. <laughs> yeah, it was just given to royal, like the navy people. I assume it's the same. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was abolished in the seventies after concerns that regular intake of alcohol would lead to unsteady hands. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, a shot of rum is probably a good thing in the morning yeah. when you're in the trenches. Yeah, so. Uh, and they stood till 7am uh, when we put up a smoke screen and went over the top at 7.30 with the London Scottish and the Queen Westminster rifles we took four lines of trenches from the Germans but were driven back by midday to our original position our losses were very heavy although we took many prisoners I could not attempt to write all that happened so I'll leave a cutting from the paper here oh wow yeah now which I really like, like, oh, he's doing our work for us. The Where I got this journal actually didn't have the cotton. Oh, okay. So I did find a cotton from the paper. From a paper. It might be a different one. I'm not going to read the article. I'm reading enough, but I'll read the headlines in a second. But um, so I never actually, I realized that it was meant to be a callback, but I never actually said the date earlier. But uh, July 1st was the Battle of Somme. Yeah. And so he was actually talking, was in the back. Oh, this guy was up front. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what was really weird, when I found the article, the article I found was completely, like they, um, 
really hid the fact that it was such a a massacre like. yeah yeah they like this is just the headlines i'm not going to read the article great british offensive attack on a 20 mile front german trenches occupied many prisoners taken our casualties not heavy that's just the headlines uh, <laughs> uh on the opening day of that battle yeah Sixty thousand British people, were, British soldiers, were killed. Our casualties, not <laughs> yeah. That. That's the first day, making it, and uh, so that makes it the worst day in the entire history of of a British armed force. Like going back to like King King Henry, like yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I could just see them sitting around like the editorial room, going, "But we can't write that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't say this." <laughs> but that's the funny thing. I, I, I guess I kind of agree with that. Yeah, no like how can you say that? Like, it's, yeah, that's like <laughs> you can't. <laughs> this is tough. Like, like you, that's one day. Yeah, and like that's just their side. I know. Um. No, see, so I had to get to the point that he was there. Yeah. Um. But I'll, I'll wrap up shortly. These are very short. I just want to. Yeah, yeah, no, so uh june july 2nd the day after we rested all day and many more of us are still a little shaky that's his only entry like, i love a little shaky after <laughs> that day like can you imagine what like that's insane what does that feel like after that yeah. um this journal like this entire so, journal to live through that like yeah like you were saying you'd rather just be shot at the front like yeah <laughs> I can't imagine, like, I just can't comprehend what that must feel like. Uh, July 3rd, we had a number of reinforcements sent to us and paraded at 9.30 and moved up the line a little to the north and were uh, billeted in cellars, turned out to turned up to work at 11 and went up to the trenches and in places we were waist deep in water and at last got to the fire trench and went to the top and put 150 yards of barbed wire and returned to billets at 4.30 in the morning. Even like the idea of going up to the top of trenches to drag barbed wire across is terrifying. I know. <laughs> um, July 4th put another 100, 150 yards of barbed wire on top of the trenches. Still waist deep in water. July 5th, just the same as the day before. July 9th, paraded at 2. Uh, heavy machine gun fire by a German aeroplane, but we got back without a casualty. July 17th, we did the same work as the day before. At night, our colonel, uh, colonel presented a few certificates for deeds on July 1st. So we got some deed certificates for fighting at the wow. first day. Sure, it means a lot. <laughs> wow. July 21st, one of their own airplanes was hit this day. Only at the end of July. Like, yeah. that's crazy. Uh, yeah. July 23rd, same hours, same work, same trench as the day previous. July 24th, same hours, same work, same trench as before. Oh. July 25th, same as before. That's just the entry. <laughs> yeah. Same as before. There's a lot of that. Then there's a really random thing. Well, actually, August 3rd, there's more Germans shelled them, killed five, wounded 18, and shook the village badly. Uh, some of the casualties were civilians. August 4th, 1916. Built a YMCA. <laughs> 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 Where does that fit in, though? Like... <laughs> and I know that I remember I've heard like the IMCA's operated during the war and like yeah. were built 
I didn't think that. I thought they had like, people that weren't fit enough to fight were sent over to build them for the soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Nope. <laughs> no, the soldiers were building them. The guys that were actually fighting at the Battle of Somme were building YMCAs. Like, they had much better things to be doing. Um, it was for morale, you see. That's the... Sorry? It's all for morale. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be up for building a YMCA if I was in the trenches. It'd be better than doing the same trench, same work, same that's day. That's true, that's true, but won't be better than going home. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, we packed up and entered and passed through Abbeville and to Corb and the Somme front. September 7th, we left camp and went nearer the line uh, and passed over a newly conquered ground and went further at night and dug a new communication trench. Uh, heavily shelled and 15 casualties in our platoon we had three casualties september 8 am i doing too much reading now no you're yeah. okay finished uh finished work finished the work of the night before also found the body of sergeant oldham who was buried on the spot we had many casualties this night september 9th <sighs> went over the top in an attack by the brigade Re- reversed the front line which we had established Came back 50 yards, dug a new front line support, returned having had 25 casualties on this yeah, so night. They lost the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. September 10th, carried on with another job, making a divisional dugout with the Royal Engineers. September 13th, this is my birthday, but was spent in the trenches and the some battle went on. That's a pretty sad entry. Yeah, I so, think that's a good place to end. <laughs> yeah. That was the war, John. Do you want to end there, really? Yeah. No, you, you keep going if you want. Uh, no, no, I think that's a, if. It sounds like a good place to end. I'm going to skip, though, just to, cause yeah, like, yeah. just so as we know his fate. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we'll go all the way to. We're in October now. October 12th. Great pain in my leg. And so I fell sick. The coat will not heal up. I guess in the stuff I skipped, that was where the coat happened, I thought. Okay, yeah, yeah. November 29th, I have become very sick. Much pain in my leg. December 25th, Christmas Day, had a day off. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. December 29th, the Germans came over in airplanes, dropped bombs and swept the streets with machine guns. January 2nd, finished working nights, came on days and leg is getting very bad. January 4th, left the field ambulance hospital in Batoon and went by motor car to the casualty clearing station in Leelers. January 6th went by ambulance train to Rune where I was admitted into a seven, seven general hospital and treated for septic ulcers and leg and ankle. January 25th got up for half a day. January 26th got up for a full day. We'll skip ahead it's March 24th. Placed an ambulance train marked for dear old England. So he got home. Did he keep his leg? Yeah he left hospital on March. Yeah he kept his leg. This is his, sorry, I'll read his entry, Sister Beth. I left hospital and went home on 10 days sick leave, sick leave and started courting Kate Barlow of 21 Park Street Castle. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know. She had written to me in hospital and my leg was on the bad side the whole time. May 4th, I left home and went to the Royal Engineers Command Depot at Tetfold, Norfolk. And I was here undergoing treatment to get my leg strong. I drew the whole of my credit and I stayed at this depot, which was hell itself, until... And this diary stops there. Just on until? Yeah. 
Oh hell. Yeah, I don't know what happened. So like, it was hell in the hospital until, and it's literally dot dot dot. It finishes no at that. No way. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So you had a septic leg yeah. for like, like and what, seven months, six months. Uh, no, I think because we skipped it, it got a bit mur- murky there. But no, it wasn't that long. But it was from September to March. Or like mid-February, anyway. Oh, I guess, yeah, sorry, of him in hospital. Yeah, I was thinking of was him. Ju- sorry, it was January before he even went to a doctor with it. No, yeah, you're probably, like, I think it was September, October when he got yeah. the leg. That's wound. crazy. I, but he kept it, at least. Yeah, yeah. I just, and I at least love, he was courting um, I love Kate from 21 uh, <laughs> Castle uh, Park Street 21 Park Street Castle um, Kate Barlow was her name when you when you really hear like the like, just the descriptions of that mm. of it properly it like, just gives you a totally different view yeah it's it, insane it's this, the entry on the 2nd of July when he just says still a little shaky like no, yeah. Oh, he describes a couple of weeks before that his mate getting a hit in the jaw and his jaw coming off and his with lips, teeth. his lips and teeth, yeah, are gone. He's like, Ugh. yeah. Or just the guy, like the guy, come, like with one leg who died a few days later and stuff. Like, there's loads of that. And <sighs> oh, it's hard. That was the news, and you can read more about World War One on audible.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Make sure to, if you are using that, make sure it's audibletrial.com forward slash yesteryear's news today. See you in the future. <laughs> what do you mean the past?